everyone. Hello. I'm Alan. I'm Brent. And we're back for another episode of A-B Testing. Woo-hoo. Uh, episode 21, right? Episode 21. Our podcast can drink in the United States. It's interesting. 21, second year, episode one. I don't think that'll work next year, but this uh, time it does. Yeah, we'll see what happens. Remember, I took a couple months off last summer, so um, <coughs> we'll, we'll just see what happens. We also have uh, other strange stuff going on. Traditionally, we've recorded at 8 o'clock in the morning, and eventually, after a year, I bailed on that and said, this is getting harder and harder as I get older and older, and I drink more and more. So now we're here at 5 p.m. And he can't stop getting older. I know. And, and who I wants to stop? give up drinking more and more? <laughs> right. <laughs> right. So uh, anyway, thanks for listening, and we're excited to have all of our listeners. Last year, we... Talked a lot about our two or three listeners, but now I think we have eight, maybe even nine. At least nine. All right. We'll go for there. Number one on our list. But it's the three. Those are the ones that we especially appreciate it because they've been with us the whole time. Yeah, I appreciate every single one of our listeners, especially the ones who send uh, questions for our mailbag so we don't have to uh, try and think of things to talk about on our own. Yes. It's okay. We have, we have enough crazy things happening in the world of Microsoft that uh, we can find stuff to talk about. Yeah, although, although we should ask for feedback because uh, we haven't really had a really good mailbag in, in a good while. I know. What is up? Now, I could, I could like yell at our listeners right now for not sending us questions, but then they stop listening and that would be the wrong thing, right? Well, so so they're getting what they paid for, for sure. Well, <laughs> we should start the subscription model. But then if – no, we shouldn't. Then we'll lose our three. Yeah. But you can send us gifts of uh, food or – I'm happy with gifts of tweets. All right. We'll go with that. Yeah, even if you guys are saying, you, know, like, you guys bore the crap out of me, please stop talking. Well, That would be fine too. Let's just – you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to take half of this show on the road. Are you? I am. I am. As we've mentioned before, I'm going to be at Star Canada in June uh, in Vancouver. Uh, I'm excited there, and I will talk to you there. If there's enough, if there's interest in anybody, I will record some stuff, and we'll put it on the podcast. Um, and then I am going to the Netherlands in, oh, God, November. I had to think when. Uh, the Eurostar conference is there. I'm going to attend Eurostar, and then I'm giving a keynote at the Deep Dive on Mobile, which is uh, the last day of the conference. Okay, so I remember, uh, I don't know, three episodes ago that you told everybody about Canada, mm-hmm. and you said, this is probably going to be the only conference. So- I know, but I like I like Europe, and, and I thought it'd be fun to do. And also because... The Build Conference, Microsoft's uh, developer conference, was this week, and I won't go into a lot of details, but the product I've been working on that I can't talk about was discussed at Build. Isn't Build public? Build is public. So you can't talk about the thing that was talked about I publicly? I can, but you know, I want to be very careful. Did you ever watch Star Trek? Yes. Yeah. So Which one? TNG. Yes. So... Data was what sort of was he human? He was an android. Oh, he was. Yes. Interesting. <laughs> and wouldn't it be cool if Data or his ilk would work on Windows? Anyway, just hints there for the crowd. You could have like, hey, and what if Data noticed that the 
that he couldn't see. What might that, he go fix? Yeah. <laughs> or, <laughs> or he wouldn't work when he was on the Klingon ship. And uh, so, yeah. So uh, where was I? So I'm going to be talking a little bit about what um, our product does at uh, and sort of the challenges and how we've addressed them at Eurostar. I'm excited about that. And I think that's it. Did I tell you I was invited to give a talk in Portugal and I had no. to cancel? I had to say no. Oh, no, you did talk about that last time. Did we talk about it on the show or afterwards? I can't remember. Yeah, it, it, right. uh, I actually don't remember. I don't remember either. Anyway, uh, I hope but, they invite But I do again. know that it was soul-crushing. It was, but I'm coaching soccer. This Yes. Yeah, yeah. So, and I, it's the last game of the season I'd have to miss, and and uh, so I'm going to coach soccer instead of going to Portugal. Well, you could just fly the whole, the both teams to Portugal. Do both. Yeah, in a way, yeah. Uh, no. <laughs> no. And it wouldn't even... Well, be, way to be the, a dad the, and a coach. The cost is one thing, but who wants to go on a trip that long with a bunch of 10 and 11-year-olds? Put them on a different plane. <laughs> like, how is this a we'll, problem? We'll, we'll put them on a boat. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you, can, if you can afford the cost and afford a, a temporary uh, nanny to watch them on the other plane. Yeah. Hey, uh, before we go into the real agenda, could we have a, another brief episode of things that piss Alan off about Microsoft? Alan's soapbox. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> we, uh, we'll be taking user requests for the theme song slash sound effect for the soapbox. For now, we'll just leave it as nothing exciting. So early in my Microsoft career, very early, there was a famous event called Bedlam. Mm-hmm. And Bedlam happened because someone created a test distribution list. I was in exchange when Bedlam happened. Oh, do you want to tell Bedlam from your side? No, you tell your side first. Bedlam was, somebody noticed they were on this Bedlam alias. And it's not the end of the world to be on an alias you don't know about, but they were curious. So they did. But I will say it it wasn't the exchange team that created this DLL. It was someone in IT. Okay. I'm yep. just saying someone emailed the entire alias and said, hey, why am I on this alias? And the – how large was the alias? 5,000 people? No, it was closer to like 20, 30. So 20 to 30,000 people. It pretty much contained at that time the majority of Microsoft. Yeah, it would have to have been. Well, Microsoft full-time was only – was right, right around 25,000, I yep. think. It was 15,000 when I first started. Anyway, uh, a lot of replies, me too – and anybody that's worked at Microsoft for a second knows that you don't get yourself taken off a DL by emailing the entire DL and saying, please remove me. You go to the darn tool and remove yourself. These reply alls fired back so quickly around the whole company that it pretty much brought Exchange down. Is that right? It, it didn't, pretty much. Okay. I, it, I, was, it, I, I was being nice because Brent worked on Exchange. Yeah, so. it, it brought it down. The 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 The... Everybody connecting. So it, first it started off with, as Alan pointed out, someone go, trying to go and clean up their, their own membership list. And back in those days, so today we have a bunch of other tooling, but back in those days, you had to, to administer it through Exchange. And the only person who could administer the DLL was, or the DL was the owner of the DL. I do remember that now, yeah. So so this person was going in. You you couldn't remove yourself. You had to go 
beg someone to get you off the DL. So this person went through, looked at uh, their distribution list. Uh, I, I never actually found out who started it, but um, I presume they were like, I get all this crap email. I want to stop getting crap email. And noticed that he was on this DL called Bedlam. So it started off that mail. Uh, then a bunch of other people came in and said, hey, remove me. Remove me too. Me too, me too, me too. <clears throat> and then what made it worse is suddenly everybody's mailbox, pretty much everybody's mailbox at Microsoft was buried by me too's. And then the next phenomenon started happening, which I don't think you addressed, which is as the me too th- train kept on going, a new train started up where everyone was replying all to the thread saying, don't reply all. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, and that one was amusing because how do you get people to stop replying all without replying all? Um, the, with all of this happening and people coming into work, and realizing that their inboxes were filling up. So everybody, a large portion of people found that their, their inbox quota gone within an hour. Uh, the, 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 the network at that point in time couldn't handle the load, so people's emails were being queued up. Um, so it created bedlam. Yes, it did. So fast forward almost 20 years later. Yep. And I got some mail this morning. I'll, I'll read the title for you. Because it's called, uh, the, the title of the mail was Testing Only, Please Ignore. Group. And at blah, blah, blah. And then the, the context of the message said, you are now a member of the Testing Only, Please Ignore group. Testing Only, Please Ignore. Because I fancy myself as having an intelligence slightly above a rock. I thought, oh, this is a testing thing. Someone's working something out. They say to ignore it. I'm going to do that by deleting it. And perhaps I should ignore it. I, I did that. I thought it was very clear. Testing only. Please ignore. It seems pretty straightforward. Spent the next hour with my jaw dropped watching the reply alls of people sending mail to this alias asking, why am I on this alias? What is this? What should I do? And I'm thinking, I think you should please ignore it. And luckily, <laughs> Outlook has this uh, feature where you can right-click and just choose to ignore a thread, which I did. But I'm blown away. Uh, and I think I was whenever I see a problem like this, I think about you know I do a little bit of five whys. Think about why does this happen? Not why did someone create an alias? This is a is a legitimate business reason for doing this testing thing. But but why why are we seeing this behavior based off of yeah response um, stimuli? So I don't know entirely. Honestly, I think a chunk of it comes back to our heavily email culture. I think people spend their time. I mean, look, I was expecting from you, and we wrote this up. I was expecting a high quality rant, you and know, now you're going to go all like serious. <laughs> 
Look, like, why isn't it? Rant? Why isn't okay, it just simply because you work you with just, stupid people? Would you put your <laughs> pants back on and wait for the answer? All right, wait for me to get there. All right, come on. I like to take it slow, Mr. Daddy Frank wants Johnson. it. All right, he's ready. Let's go. <laughs> anyway, people spend their their. I was watching these people reply all and make cute little comments to about. 5,000 people. wasn't the 20,000. Watching my mailbox fill up. Just idiotic. Idiotic. And some people thought they'd be clever or reply all with the special little DRM tag that says don't reply all, which means that our client caches ahead on when it's going to look. The moment you get near that mail, it tries to load all the DRM stuff and things slow down. And I go, <laughs> Oh, it just drives me nuts. And I'm watching people reply to this thing multiple times. And there's... <coughs> There's 5,000 people on this group. And I'm thinking, a couple things I'm thinking. One, every person on there, I'm thinking, are you really that dumb? Seriously. And then I started thinking, I think there's probably a direct correlation between your productivity in general and your involvement in this thread. And that's what got me thinking, you know what? Some people are so happy and feel like they're productive when they spend their whole day with their face buried in email rather than actually getting work done. You know when I actually get work done? When I close my freaking email client and get my face in the computer and do the work. Get your head out of the email, you freaking idiots. Well done. That was a good rant. You know, Alan, as, as you've already heard from here, uh, has, has a face for... Uh, radio um but he just got bright purple he feels it i am the best looking guy you've ever done a podcast <laughs> I, I will freely admit that between the two of us he is the a is not only alan but the attractive one absolutely right well in comparison <clears throat> yeah all right so anyway people are still you know i'm gonna have to actually empty my deleted items because it's filling up with all the all the ignored threads. So let's go back to the to the, 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 the serious Ellen. Well. The one that's really trying to decompose why. Well, I think the decompose why is it. I really feel like people think email is the most important. I shouldn't, I, I shouldn't generalize. There are some people at every company. I believe email is fantastic for information dissemination, unfortunately, and, and not so great for a lot of other things. Unfortunately, our culture is very much around doing everything over email. And I think this is another symptom of that same cultural uh, inefficiency. I'm done with the subject. Do you want to move on? Do you want to say something else? Uh, no, my, I want to say something else, but it, it just, just lined up that what I've written on the board lines up very much with what you're saying. All right. I don't see it, so let's go on, and you can tell me how to make this well, segue so we, perfecto. Here's the thing, though, right? This, this particular situation is absolutely the snowball effect. Yep. Right? It, 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 it progresses exponentially. And everybody has their own little personal tipping point. But once this gets to a tipping point, you have no choice but to act because now some idiot someplace else is actually having a negative impact on you. Right? You now have to spend a half hour, unless you've created a rule or something like yeah, that. Yeah, it was five minutes. It, I, and when I got the mail, I thought, I now have to do extra effort I didn't want to do because of a bunch of idiots I don't know. Well, it's really just distracting because I... I saw the first mail come in. I ignored it. Then when I saw the first reply all, I thought, oh, crap. Here it comes. And sure enough, 
I'm just staring at my screen, shaking my head. Ah, oh, people, people, people. There should be a feature in, in, in Outlook. There should, be, there should be a in, lot of features in Outlook. Instead of replying, there should be a feature <laughs> where if things like this are happening, you can click a button and say, everyone should ignore this. And it gets aggregated. That and, sounds like an exchange feature. It, but it should well, it should be both, <laughs> yeah. right? Instead of replying all, because they're trying to they're trying to shut down the noise. There should be just a button that says "shut down the noise," and if enough people do it, it oh, just I stops. Like that. So when you do right click ignore thread, if it, it's like that, but if but but with crowdsourcing, right? If enough people say ignore it, everyone ignores it. It gets ignored. <laughs> <laughs> there there is a there is a. Um, there's a feature in Exchange that we called the the message torpedo. So if you message recall is the official feature, okay. <laughs> right? It, oh, I love message recall. That if I see one of those in my in my inbox, I make sure I go to the mail before to see what was recalled because it might be something good. What well, well, what I so if you if you um, if you use rules, I don't know if they've changed it, but it used to be the case message torpedo only worked against messages that were in the inbox. Oh. So one of the things I used to do is is uh, the way I crafted my rules is I moved the messages I cared about out of the inbox. That is good. That's where most of like junk mail stuff. So it's inbox like essentially eventually became just nothing but junk mail, and I can just and say control like all delete an important box that comes like yeah, yeah I get it yeah and once you move it over they're like oh yeah I'll let you recall it just as soon as I finish reading it. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah, so Conway's law is what I wanted to talk about, right? The the Conway's law was it was it, written it, by it, a guy named Conway, Martin Conway. Uh, thankfully, I looked him up uh, on Wikipedia just before I violated a key principle of A/B testing, and that is we have principles. Yeah, we do. We've talked about this before, where I actually did some prep time. Weird. Now here it was only like a minute, but wow. I, <laughs> um, he crafted this this uh, law, and it's it's a law where he noticed a cause and effect between system architecture and the communication style, and noticed that these were systems, and that he noticed that how an organization communicated with people is how is also how the architectures built by those people communicate with each, each other. All right. Uh, is this kind of like don't ship your org structure? Or is this different than the structure? I don't know structure? that one. I don't know who meant that one. So talk more about this. Give me an example so I get it. Uh, it's essentially, have you ever noticed that, that at times it's back in the old days, a huge improvement since, but back in the old days, that it didn't seem like Outlook and Exchange worked well together? I may have noticed that. Yeah. Well, it was because Outlook and Exchange didn't work well together. The team. Got it. So it, it's, it's essentially, what it's basically saying is that the designs of the, the code that's being built is going to follow a similar communication paradigm. Okay, I believe that. As the a- people. Anecdotally, I believe that to be true because I've seen... Uh, whether it's products that need to work together or if you have uh, a panoramic operating system where the teams don't uh, 
another word for panorama, maybe a vista, where the um, no, I, I understand. Okay, okay. Right, you gave me a word. Alan's look. looking at me like, oh, I used the big word again. No, I got that one. All right, so um, I know anecdotally there were some there were <clears throat> communication problems on that team that could cause some of this. A lot uh, of- you've heard of um, projects that, that uh, you've heard the term "make the product seamless." I've heard the term. Okay. Um, Sounds like a marketing term, but go on. No, no. So several of our products, and, and we still get feedback on this, particularly with the Windows asset, right? Those who are who are software junkies or are spending a lot of time with this, like what's the number one question that, hey, SharePoint and, uh, I don't know, Zune, these are both Microsoft products. How come they don't work well together? Or SharePoint and Excel or, or yeah. Excel and Notepad or whatever, right? These folks have a user scenario that they require uses of multiple products in a row. Mm-hmm. And, the, and they do this day in and day out. And they notice that they've not integrated together well. Um, and not only that, if, if you spend enough time, you can actually almost physically tell that it was an entirely different team that designed this, particularly for um, some of the scenarios. I can't think of an example, but we have a bunch of them in this company, where in order for it to do it, you have to sort of navigate um, your data through uh, multiple teams to accomplish your goal, or multiple teams' code. Mm-hmm. But it feels awkward, particularly on APIs. Okay, I get conceptually. You brought this up for a reason. Yeah. So the thing I wanted to talk about today, that's sort of the theme. Conway's right. law. I, I will log that in the theme part of so my data. We have things. themes and principles. And I think you... You sound so up class, but we know we're not. We're not. Although I love the white shirt. I mean, you look all like summery. Yeah. Think so? Yeah. It, it is nice out. Anyway. I thought I lost the shirt. You, you, I lost you, today. I'm still the same low class guy, but yeah, you are will, definitely um, up class today. Just... just Keep in mind that this is the reason this is the podcast and not a video cast. <laughs> All right. So today, with the theme of Conway's Law, like I want to talk about central organizations. Like, what do you mean? Um, are you familiar with the hub and spoke model? Oh, yeah. Yeah? What's your experience with the hub and spoke model? Works uh, fantastically every time, doesn't it? Um, no. Do you want to describe to our so, three listeners? Yeah, um, I don't. I I don't like spending too much of our podcast talking about stuff like like just Microsoft stuff. Hub and spoke is worldwide. It's it's a known thing. So, in my experience, so the hub and spoke is you have a, a central org that works with um, smaller orgs on each team. So the central org is the hub, mm-hmm. and you have the spokes going out to these these smaller teams that do the same thing, and they communicate back to. The central org, which does a lot of the heavy lifting, and maybe the the spoke team w- within the team is supposed to do sort of the implementation and adaptation for their specific product, uh, specialization for their product around the same ideas coming out of the central team. Right. So the hub is is uh, they generally have a a broad scope. Yes. Right. Um, for example, things I'm hearing all the time lately is. Oh, we're doing this for the whole company. Okay, a very broad stroke. Mm-hmm. And 
their mission is to provide some key resource sure. the dependency uh. that the spoke team then enhances leveraging their specific yep, business knowledge. Yep. That's... Okay. And you said, and so you agree that these work fantastically. Um, no, I did not agree that. Okay. I worked in engineering excellence, which was in a way a central organization for Microsoft. Yes. Uh, even it had its... Which no longer exists at this company. Nope. And it's because they were so fantastic. No, it worked it. perfectly. And they said, just like it's I... not it either. So you go <laughs> somewhere. I have, I have all kinds of soapboxes lined up here to jump on, but I kind of want to see where you're going first. Okay. One of the things that I'm seeing as a, as a problem with central orgs, and, and I'm seeing this pop up a lot, um, and it is a potential problem where I'm at right now. Uh, but although I know a solution towards it, and I'm in, intending to improve it. Uh, but a lot of the times, the biggest thing about these central orgs, because they have such a broad scope, they have they approach their problem solving as if they have a mission from God. Meaning, just like Jake and Elwood. No. Oh. But they were on a mission from God. They were. But theirs had dancing, singing, and and yeah. cool like car chases. Yeah, but awesome. none of that happens here. Oh. Oh, and beer. Yeah. What else do you need in life? Um. Go on. Uh, money. Uh, no. Okay. Um. <clears throat> so the central teams. They get this feeling of validation that they exist because their version of God wants them to exist, and therefore everyone just needs to snap to how they intend to solve the problem. Right, right. That, that's I'm gonna I'm gonna hold off till you're done. But yeah, I, I've I've seen that that viewpoint often. I, I'm I'm waiting for a rant. Oh, it's coming. Okay, it's building up. All I'm right, turning purple. All right, so here's the situation that I'm seeing. Um, we have a central organization, okay, and, and I'm thinking of several, not necessarily any of them that I'm working directly with, but this has always happened. They get this mission from God. They have a very broad stroke. Now, because they have a, a broad mission, um, their mission is almost always... Not only larger, but significantly larger than what they're resourced for. Mm-hmm. Okay, and the way they try to scale this down so that they can scale and sustain is by limiting what the spoke teams can do. How do they do this? Because they often, depending on the size of how many spoke teams, they will do this by saying, "No, no, no, you don't know what you need to do for your team. We do." Because that's the capability we're lighting up. So they reduce those capabilities. They don't ever actually come and ask the teams what they need. Yeah. So And so then we end up having a hub team that's taking forever to produce something nobody wants. And we have the spoke teams who are getting pressure to to actually provide business value in a time window that's useful. And so then they start duplicating it. The hub team doesn't know what the spoke team's doing. The spoke team doesn't know what the hub team is doing. And then we end up in this craptastic world. So, and it's because these guys aren't talking. 
It's more than that. It's it, it's more that it's communication is part of it. Mm. Actually, communication is a big part of it. It's the major so part. This, I'll argue that later once you're all done. All right. I don't even know where to start, but this is exactly what I've seen in. I can't think of a central org at Microsoft, at least, where this hasn't been the case to some extent. The central orgs, they, you're right, they feel like they're going to solve everybody's problem for everyone. And the big problem I see is they get on a, they develop a charter for themselves. They're, we're going to do this, and then everybody else is going to snap to it because we're doing this for everyone. Yep. And that is the exact wrong way to do a central team. This brings me back to... Um, there are completely when I, agree. When I think of central teams and I think of how they work, uh, I think about consulting. They should be like a consultant for this area. They are. I want them to help the other teams do this. And they're going to do a chunk of that work themselves, help them implement. But that viewpoint should be a consultant's viewpoint. And when I think of consultant, I think of there are two very good books on consulting that talk about this. One is the Weinberg book, uh, Secrets of Consulting. Jerry? Mike, Jerry Weinberg. I might get the title wrong. But another one is great. As I've mentioned before, I'm a huge fan of the uh, uh, Pat Lencioni business fables. And his latest fable, which is a couple years old now, he did a um, just a standard business book in between, but his latest fable, I've forgotten the name, but it is about his consulting business. Uh, and it's a story talking about how a guy was in a consulting firm and tell me if this sounds familiar. They started off, they did all kinds of prep work and they came into the client and told them what they should do and they felt like they had to come in and be the expert because they were the consultant or the central org. The, the, they yep. really wanted to be the expert where central orgs are. And this other company was taking all of their business and then uh, there was some weird thing where the guy had to got transferred or acquired. He had to go work with these guys and learn how they worked. And their idea was they couldn't believe they weren't doing prep. Because they would take their first consultation meeting and they would go and ask questions and learn and not try and be the expert. They would ask humble questions about, well, how would you, what do you actually want to do here and learn how they could help them? And this is exactly how to, this is how, if you're a, whether you're a consultant in a central org or just in sort of some sort of leadership position, this is by far the most effective way to, to, have influence and be effective. And it probably ties down to communication as well. I think too often our central orgs want to come in and be the expert and solve the problem for everyone and go, we have figured this out for all of the division or all of Microsoft or all of the world. But what you really want to do in a central org is figure out how you can help everyone because I have honestly, I should probably not say never, but I will for now. I've never seen that sort of, push of like, we have the right answer. We're going to tell you what to do work. What I have seen work is when someone comes in or some org comes in and says, let's figure out what you're, what you're doing and how we can help you. And we'll take requirements for everybody else. We'll kind of figure out what everybody's doing. Then we'll figure out our charter from that, what everybody needs and what their problems are versus building something and you know, doing the field of dreams, build it and they will come crap. Yep. What is important. So you talked about a couple of things and I, I, I don't see the expertise thing so often because a lot of times I find that people on uh, the smoke teams are on the smoke teams are actually better experts. But the thing is, these guys are in a role where they're so I agree with that they're in a role where it's supposed to be. But when they when under conversation, what you find out is that failing that it doesn't matter if I am or not because again I have a mission validated by God. In other words, my executive says it's I win. 
I, I like your consultancy. Like there's an, there's an implied fix in there, right? Fine. Go ahead. Have your mission from God. But the VP, he changed the funding structure. No, the VP doesn't fund that team directly. That team, he's going to fund the spoke teams extra money and the spoke teams fund yeah, that central it, team. It's, that's always weird in a, um, I wish there was a good system. Maybe if I was a better business person, I could figure that out, a way to uh, make those checks and balances work by funding from within the org. I think it's a cool idea. Yeah. I was talking to a friend of mine in a different group at Microsoft and they're doing a big reorg and um, they're moving to uh, unified engineering. Um, and he was talking about, well, what do you do in that situation? I don't want to go too deep into this. We talked about, but what do you do about some of the non-functional things like performance and reliability and some end-to-end things? And and I and I gave him a bunch of you know ideas. Here's how you can you know incorporate those people. Use specializing generalists and you know blah blah blah. And he was really adamant about. I really think we need a central org to run all this stuff. And all of it, no, some of it. I think it makes sense. Yeah, and I, and the there's sort of a hybrid, and we're a little off the track of where you were, but we can come back in a second. But I see I, how you what got I kind of pushed him toward is uh, he really wants that, and I think there's there is advantage in that shared expertise, being able to have those. Like if there's four guys in an org of like 500 that really know perf, being having them like we've done with Tag in the past, having those guys be able to share what's going on, like consultants would. Mm-hmm. Consultants go out for their jobs, they come back, and they they can figure out what's going on or learn from each other. So there's advantage in that, but you can, and, but, and you also want to rotate those people around. There is a big push in his org, for example, that, well, we don't need that because every single feature team should have a perf expert is, is what one of the, some of one of the leaders was saying. And that's a nice idea in concept, but you also need a, a reliability expert and an end-to-end expert. And a security and, 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 and pretty, privacy. And, and, and pretty soon there's yeah. nobody left to actually write the features. Right. And, um, But the one feature that gets written will be great at perf reliability and, um, and security and privacy. And compliant. And, et cetera, et cetera. Right. It's, there, there is a – the decentralization is as attractive as centralization. Or as unattractive. No, no, no. So people get seduced oh. into, like, into, oh, we should yes. decentralize, we should centralize. And, and there was a well, it's book I read years ago that it's, it actually is an infinite loop. If, if you pay, attention to, the sis- <laughs> if you pay yeah. attention to the system, it's an infinite loop. Well, it's interesting, and I'm just going to bring this up briefly, but it's interesting how many of these problems fall back into something we've talked about probably in every single episode, which is the idea of specializing generalists, generalizing mm-hmm. specialists. And systems. And systems, yes. So it, it really comes back to that. So we rewind a little bit. Now we, we, so we're talking about centralized orgs and how we've seen them fail. Yeah, the, 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 I like what you were saying in terms of, or I piggybacked off of you in terms of, hey, let's change the funding structure. Because the, really the problem is, is that what the central orgs, particularly, again, the ones with the mission from God, who they're trying to make happy is whoever's funding them. Yeah, and something I just thought of is this goes back to the uh, shipping your org structure part of this. Yep. Which is, say I have 30 people on my central team and somehow I get like like 
some more headcount. Now I have 40 people on my central team. I'm going to be cranking out a lot of stuff for the whole org. And maybe even so much that the spoke teams can't adapt to what I'm doing or consume what I'm doing because they have like three or four people doing something. Uh, in a consultancy type model, you that, could. That's almost never a problem because, again, the hub team has such a broad stroke, the spoke team always goes faster. It, you know what? We've seen that. You're right. The, the, only act- place, the only place where I've seen the spoke team go slower is when God comes down and says, no, you will take a dependency. Yeah. And, I, then, and then the same God tries to figure out why we slipped four I, months late. While you're talking, I'm thinking more and more about the concept of actually, we talked about the model of consultancy and what I've learned about leadership from, consultant, mm-hmm. from studying consulting, but actually doing it, actually having the hub team uh, rotate people onto the spoke teams to actually work there and help really understand those problems and implement and adapt. And that would take care of the communication piece because they would have to. It would certainly take care of the empathy piece. The but if you don't, it's much like what we've said in systems and and change. Every time we talk about systems and, and need to change behavior, right? They're incentivized to do the wrong thing. The other thing too that's a, that's particularly in my new world where there is a lot of hub and spokes teams in the data science world. Mm-hmm. One of the common things that's also very frustrating for from the central team. Let's say you are on the central team and. And the team I was on before my current one was a central organization. They're doing all this great work, but no one's using it. Okay, And the reason why, of course, is by the time they completed that work, the spoke team's already solved their problem. Right. Okay, We've all seen that. It, we've seen it over and over and over again. Now, the thing... So I had a conversation with... Uh, a member of my central team today. And it was a fantastic one. And I'm on a spoke team. They're on a hub team. We have a similar thing. I recognize, I told them, here's, here's how I see the system. You guys have a broad stroke that requires you to go slow in order to get all of this stuff in so that it can be consumable at your scope. Right? It takes a lot of work to do that. That's going to make you guys go slower. I need to go faster but I don't want to reinvent the wheel. I want to use your data and help to converge on your system, primarily because they're doing data warehouse solution or data engineering. I don't want to go into that space. I could do it. That's what I did to my last team. But Somebody else is already doing it. Someone is starting to do it. I know the maintenance costs over the long term. This is their mission. I'd rather help them. So I had a conversation with them, and I said, look, I don't want you to view me as your customer. I want you to view me as your partner. And what I want to do, and I completely understand that there's a very high chance that my priority on a spoke team is, not, is going to be very low on your backlog. But I need you to understand that I can't wait. So what I would like to be able to do is when I encounter these situations, I give you my developer he works on my scenario and enrich your asset so that I get what I want, you get convergence. What do you say? And I've done this now three times in this last week, and every one of them was like, 
wow, what a magical solution. Where did this come from? The real world. It, it's, <laughs> it's essentially open source, except yeah. with a little bit of command and control bureaucracy overhead. But what do you think, now apply Conway's law, once me and that team are executing in that style, how well do you think my system's going to integrate with theirs? Because they are actually two distinct systems, but I want to take a dependency on theirs. Well, it should improve. It's going to integrate fantastically. I'm sending one of my developers over to their team. Maybe he's a horrible communicator. Maybe he's a dick. Uh, he he can be a dick, but he's a great <laughs> he's a great communicator. I'm just saying it's not foolproof, but did, it's definitely going to improve. He doesn't listen to a podcast. Okay, but one of his better friends does. Excellent. It'd be interesting to see if this bubbles back. It's always fun to watch the fallout <laughs> and atmosphere. So eventually someone who gives a crap is going to listen and then we're going to get an email saying, hey. It's it's funny. Like We've spent a lot of time uh, picking on my kids on the podcast. This is the first time I started picking on my employees. But you know, one of the things, he was giving me crap just an hour ago, so screw him. Yes. <laughs> All right. Did you have more on that? No, I'm good. All right. Anything else you want to talk about? No, and we're out of time. I guess we are. So thanks for listening again. Thanks, all. All right. We will talk to you soon. I'm Alan. I'm Brent. And we'll see you next time on AD Testing. Bye.